Today on Bears with Talos, we're going to be talking about addressing and detecting vulnerabilities, the new Talos threat assessment reports, as well as new training content available for Snort 2 and Snort 3. Thanks for spending some time with us. Here comes episode 72. This is Beers with Talos. Threats, beers, and Welcome or welcome back to Beers with Talos. This is episode 72. Today is January 31st, 2020. I am joined, as always, by Joel Essler, Matthew Only, Craig Williams, and Nigel Houghton. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Amazing. Okay. That's all I have Yeah. All right. Got a lot of energy <laughs> in this room. <laughs> uh, we started. <laughs> Matt's present. <laughs> so we're going to go around the table like we do every week and get a little bit of a opening thought from everybody. Nigel, survey says you're up first today. Yep. Survey says you've beaten every other team in the Premier League for the Whoa! first time since the 1800s. Oh my gosh. Yes, this is true. Yes, with our victory over West Ham United on Wednesday, that was the, uh, we've beaten every Premier League team this season. Um, you know, there's that, right? And the other thing is, last week I went to uh, Tampa in Florida, oh and I, you know, obviously had to pop in and see Mitchell. Yes, you did. Hung out a bit and did stuff. How much and bill one of the money things did you bring that we for a did, trip like that? Well, it's got to be a lot, right? Because you know, yeah, the bail budget is pretty yeah, significant. Like, did you yeah. bring like a yeah. duffel bag or because because you have to worry about you have to worry about Nigel and Mitch. And Mitch's mm. wife. Yes. Whoa. Right. Whoa. I <laughs> feel like you're missing out on Nigel's wife here. <laughs> you will never, well, you know. she will never be caught. No. You'll have the three <laughs> of them in jail. Yeah. There'll be like reports of a woman who escaped with a yeah. grappling yeah. gun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So the other thing that we did while we were there was um, something called Gasparilla. And, uh, uh, and and what we thought, see, what happens is, right, this pirate ship comes into Tampa. And uh, it, Just it another Thursday. And, they, uh, and these pirates uh, <laughs> kidnap the mayor. And, <laughs> Again, uh, just another Thursday. And, and do a hell of a lot of drinking uh, and throwing <laughs> up and stuff like that and shooting off cannons and things. Uh, and, and, and you drink lots of booze. And we figured that, you know, we would get a hotel room that overlooks the harbor where this ship comes in so we could all be kind of relaxed and not have to hang out with the proletariat downstairs or all throwing up and whatever. We are up there, and of course the hotel room costs an absolute fortune because it's Gasparilla and it overlooks the harbor, right? And uh, here's the thing. This pirate ship, instead of coming, you know, steaming in and like doing all its thing and being all flashy and awesome like it you know it's like james bond's whole big battle yeah uh no it gets it gets dragged in by by like four tugboats <laughs> and, and then there's like these little cannons going off or whatever you know nothing gets destroyed it parks up on the uh, like right in front of the convention center and we can't see anything Right, we can't see the mayor getting grabbed. We can't see people diving off and all that kind of thing, and and you know being pirates in pirate costume. No, can't see any of that stuff. Right, so all that happens, 
And uh, and then later on when it gets dark, because this happens at like lunchtime or something, and then later on when it gets dark, <laughs> we're back up in the hotel room after, you know, going out in the bar and things. And uh, we're looking out the window, waiting for the lights to come on. And uh, do they come on? No, they bloody don't. Not a single light. There's not a boat left in the harbor. They've all buggered off home. There's not a light going on. There's no lights on the bloody pirate ship. Nothing. I mean, what a bust. You know what I'm saying? Not a single flicker of a light came on. Nothing. Fortunately, one of the one of the people we were with, uh, she got pictures of it in the week in when it was parked up on Bayshore there. And uh and and so she had pictures of it with all its lights on and stuff, looking awesome. The kind of, you know, thing that we expected to see. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. What a just no. No, and, and Nigel, nightmare. it's worse than that. Well, it's worse than that. Not only was the ship obviously broken yeah, this year. I mean, with the barges and the tugs and everything. It was definitely everything. broken. Yeah. There's not been a single story about it. I have been looking what? to try and figure out what happened. I, there's I, there's a cover-up afoot. There's a cover-up. And I'm trying to figure out what's going <laughs> Maybe, on. But I'm sure the Senate will get to the bottom <laughs> of it. Everyone in Florida gets drunk at noon. No one quite remembers what happened after it. no and the the invasion starts at noon craig you're missing the point because you have to have time to leave the breakfast bar to (laughs) get down to the invasion right right joel you are up next today what is on your mind uh i don't know i've got a ton of crap on my mind but i would like to apologize to the listeners for not being here last recording um i was in the new york of city or the city of new york and uh, and this week in local theater, we uh, we took my daughter to go see Beetlejuice on Broadway, and uh, it was the best production of any show I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and it was better than a movie, um, and it's better than any other Broadway production I've ever seen. Wow! Um, it was like if if you enjoy. Any parts of theater, the music, the acting, the dancing, the lights, projections, projection mapping, sets, anything. This was everything about theater done correctly. It was amazing. Wow. Okay. Matt, you are up next. What is on your mind? You know, I have I have YouTube viewing recommendations. Ooh. <laughs> so um, uh, Channel 4 in England has a show that reminds me of the old VRT days. Oh. And it's called Taskmaster. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, and they have just started releasing the episodes on YouTube on the Taskmaster channel. So you can just on go YouTube, search Taskmaster. YouTube Red or yep. just YouTube? <laughs> uh, YouTube.com, regular YouTube. Okay. Um, Richard Ayoade, so, right? Um, uh, he's not on there, what? so so Greg Davies is he hasn't been on, but so yeah. hold on. So this this was a show made by Alex Horn. Greg Davies is the Taskmaster, and essentially there's five comedians that in the course of the series have to do a whole bunch of different tasks. And the and the one that 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 kind of uh, stuck with me was was they kind of go into this room and there's an envelope and and you know they're each they're all by themselves and they open the envelope and it says in the next room is a watermelon. Eat as much watermelon as you can in one minute. Time starts when you go in the room. And so the very first guy actually thought to go get a knife. Everybody else just walked into the room and had to figure out how to open the watermelon without any tools. 
Yeah. And so it goes from like a guy kind of like banging it on the table and like cracking it open to the last guy who just slams it on the floor and As then just starts eating be. watermelon off the floor. And, <laughs> yes. And, and Greg Davis is like, there was a table right there you could have smashed it on. And he's like, I was excited, didn't know how much force it takes to break a watermelon. So I just went all out. Go for it. Oh, like and it's just it. yeah. tons of this stuff. But while there hasn't been um, a Richard Ayoade uh, sighting, uh, Catherine Ryan's oh, been yeah. on it, who I think is one of the funniest people in English television. And also one Noel Fielding oh, yes. is on oh, uh, the okay. series that they're, they're doing now. So good stuff. Um, check it out. Uh, I really enjoy it. My kids enjoy it. It's good family fun. Very funny show. What's on your mind, Craig? So um, I, I did have something to discuss today. And I'm curious everybody's thoughts. So, you know, one of the things that we always see in our industry is vendors will put out um, studies and reports on what they're seeing in the field. And most of the time, these are pretty valid, right? Uh, you may not agree with them 100%, but at least you can understand that, yeah, in your vertical, maybe you're seeing these results. But I do have one problem. Um, and we Which see this- is? Well, we see it from time to time where a vendor won't filter out alerts. And so they'll put out a report that's meant to be like super fuddy and get everyone's attention and be like, oh, my God, Convicker's back. The Internet's going to melt. Um, and, you know, obviously the flavor of marketing really colors it. But the problem I have with it is that when they put out these reports, even if it's true and they are seeing a lot of Convicker scanning activity and depending on where they are on the Internet, that largely could be the case. I think it's very important that those alerts need to be put in the context so that people know they can safely ignore them. I mean, the reality of today is there are going to be worms out there like Slammer, Convicker, whatever, you know, probably Sasser and Blaster even, that are never, ever going to go away, ever. But the reality is if you have systems on the internet and they're still working okay, you probably don't need to worry about them because they're not running an OS that's 15 years old. And so I'm just curious people's take on that, how they feel about it, if they agree, disagree. Either you're fine and you're defended against it, or you're the one infected. <laughs> so Yeah, we, we really do get to that point, don't we, where we're like, listen, at this point, if you haven't fixed it, you're yeah. infected. Yeah, yeah. Like at cer certain ones of these, um, like if, or you've just put out something new and stupid, like I'm thinking... Uh, you know, reports on SSH brute forcing, which is a nonstop occurrence yeah. every day of the week. Going, Dude, yeah. which, and that comes up also in kind of the same vein, Craig, where you get reports, um, especially lately from some election, um, uh, from state election boards, like, we got, you know, attacked 50,000 times an hour over blog. <laughs> I'm like, that's just <laughs> yeah. that's on the, it's being on the internet, man. Stiff, you know, some I don't even remember there. the OS that Configure affected. I mean, it was like over 10 years ago. Like, what was it, like Windows 95? Uh, Windows 2003. I think it was three server, right? The, yeah. the problem is is how you is what you're measuring, how you're identifying these things. Because if you're doing a simple, straight-up volume of things, then you can, you, know, you, you can only, it could be one host on the internet that does nothing but scan like Configure, right? Be one. And it looks like it and it looks like there's a whole bunch of them doing it. Yeah. Right? It's, it's kind of like here's the information without any contacts, without any, you know, kind of uh processing and without any thinking about it. And that's what you've got to be careful about, is, is stuff like that, where people just throw stuff out without kind of, you know, well, going, it's, hey, it's well, data without context, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, are we seeing Conficker? Yes. Right. Are we seeing Slammer? Yes. Yeah. Is it affecting people? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, that right. was kind of my, my interpretation was that if your world's not already melting because of this, safely disregard it. 
And so every time I see reports or scan information and they put that in there without those contexts, I, I just get pissed off because there's really <laughs> no reason to alert customers and worry them. There's enough stuff that they need to be worried about. And by distracting people with this completely irrelevant information to modern operating systems, they're doing everyone a disservice. We have this we have this problem in kind of some of the data that we look at Um Particularly, like if you look at like snort alert data, it's very difficult to to um, the snort rule base is changing a lot. So all you can really do is talk about changes over time. So what would be interesting is if we saw a sudden increase in the number of infected nodes yeah. of a of a of a worm like that. Yeah. That would be like, hey, all of a sudden we're seeing like fifty new or fifty percent more or some kind of value over time increase and that might be interesting but you also kind of are on the hook at that point to provide some explanation into what's going on mm-hmm. um, and 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 a brief set of guidance on what's what is what your end user should do with that information well and that's actually a, a perfect segue because one of the things that we want to talk about today um, is one of the primary topics is addressing vulnerabilities Um you know, how you need to address that as a business, how you should address these and look at these as an individual. Um, and, and this really kind of, we're already getting into that. So I kind of want to just call out that, um, you know, th- this is an issue that we see, whether it's old stuff with Configure and Slammer and Blaster and just general background noise of the internet. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit last episode uh, and we have a blog post that's come out on this with like the the recent vulnerabilities that we saw in in Microsoft and in Citrix Server and how those were addressed and how those were handled. We can get there, but let's let's start with what what a defender would have to think about. Right? You have you have different options when a vulnerability is announced, and, and we're thinking about. You know, stuff like, it actually does, it depends. It doesn't matter what it is. When a vulnerability is announced, the first thing you have to do is understand what risk that is in your network. Because what the ultimate answer is, the correct answer is for any given vulnerability, is to patch. Everything else that we would talk about in terms of mitigating that vulnerability has downsides that make it less effective than patching. Uh, so your, your primary goal should be get a plan in for patching, you know, yeah. when is when is your patch going to go out? And then now, how do I handle the period between now and the yeah. time that I'm allowed to push that patch? Elimination and so there was a the period. Yeah. Yeah. There was a period during, you know, the mid 2000s where some companies were advertising virtual patching. <laughs> and essentially they were saying, mm-hmm. what we'll do is we'll put in place rules <laughs> yeah. that vaccine. will essentially protect, right? That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so first thing you need to have is like a really good understanding of what's in your org, and this is, and I can tell you from reviewing, um, reviewing several IR incidents over the last, you know, three six months, a good understanding of what's in your environment is not easy to come by. It takes a lot of effort to know what your exposure is. You don't want to be caught in a situation where a phone comes out. You ignore it because you don't think you're affected, and then you find out that a small office in you know upstate New York or something ha- is running that for some reason. So inventories are important so that you can make the correct decisions. No, so no, 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 no. What I'm saying, no, I think I would disagree. So having been a consultant for many years while working at Sourcefire and traveling around and going to different customer networks, I will say, made up statistic incoming, ninety percent of customers have no idea what's on their network at all. And so if you're like thinking, oh, well, I don't have server 2003. Yeah, 
You might want to double check, dude, because you don't know. You don't know. You do not know. I've rolled it in networks where like XP Home is sitting on a desktop land. And it's like, why is there XP Home? <laughs> why is there Windows 3.1? Why is there Windows NT4? Stop. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's where that's where like a layered approach comes into play. Your first task is to take care of what you know about. I know I run these services. I will patch these services. This is the timeline for that. But when you do that, you also have to understand that you don't have a hundred percent perfect insight into your organization. So then you are both preparing for how do I get myself to my patch day, and then how do I ensure that something that comes up new. Um, or something that I don't know about comes up. What we've seen in the past where people really get bitten on that kind of stuff is um, in, in research and development or development networks. Um, we've seen people have patched all their production stuff and everything else, but they have development networks that they'll spin things up on. And because they're spinning off a gold image, it doesn't have all the patches on it. Uh, we saw this during the JBoss um, analysis a few years back. Um, you just have to, you can't just patch and think, okay, that's, done. Then you have to go, okay, now how do I detect this attack? How do I prevent it from hitting things that I don't know about or mistakes that my operations teams make? And that's where we get into, you know, endpoint and network detection possibilities. Well, and that's a, that's a great point, Matt. So w when we're talking about those exploits, whether it's something that, uh, you know, has been a known vulnerability or even in like an O-Day scenario where nobody knew the vulnerability existed before the exploit was found. Um, you know, so how are we... How are we addressing those specifically? I mean, we talk a lot and we've talked a lot over the last few episodes about like strategic versus tactical methodologies, right? I mean, are we are we defending against the vulnerability itself or like looking for some are we looking at specific exploits as we see them come down to make sure those aren't getting through? Like what's the This is, goes back to like early source fire research analyst trainings. Like do you do you build your detections against the exploit or the vulnerability. And so, and it really comes down to it, the preferred method, obviously, is to build it against the vulnerability. So in for Craig's example that he was saying earlier, if we know that the vulnerability is that there's a certain service, that if you pass it more than 100 characters in the name field, it causes issues, then we look for um, anything that does that. But what is increasingly, um, in this increasingly complex world is sometimes there's cases where you can't, do that detection on the wire or on the endpoint for whatever reason, um, lack of visibility, encrypted traffic, you know, in, you know, you know, obfuscation opportunities are too high, et cetera. Then you fall back on your threat intelligence teams and go, okay, show me what's in the wild. Let's make sure that these things that we know have fixed strings or do that behave in some way that we can push out those behavior characteristics, um, the heuristic detections, or you know, a straight string match on uh, a uh, a bad uh, URL or a, a bad HTTP agent, um, which we use in the past. Sometimes you have to go to that level, and that's that's the kind of decisions that um, that the the detection team here at Talos makes every day. Is you know, what's the effective way to take care of this on the wire, and then how do we also take care of it on the endpoint? It's also not just looking for so and that's what I was kind of starting to with the beginning was vulnerability versus exploit versus just like looking for bad stuff in a string right they each have their place and so obviously what we try to strive for when we're writing detection for a vulnerability is to parse the protocol parse the field measure the field things like that to see if uh, we can write detection for a specific vulnerability and then sometimes we'll write things that 
uh, are looking for the exploit side. So looking for tools that are being used to look for those vulnerabilities or tools that are looking to exploit those vulnerabilities. Then the third thing is what I kind of call the metadata type of rules or the informational kind of rules, which is like, if you see this, this may also occur. And this other indicator condition may also occur. Like uh, you may see C2 as a result of the exploit, right? So, you know, or you may see, uh, you know, or you write different pieces of detection for different parts of the attack and things like that. And so even if this changes, you'll still alert on this other thing, you know, so, but it's different pieces of the d detection. So it's not just like, hey, this one rule can be your magic bullet to detect and, and block all things, right? You want multiple layers and multiple pieces that'll tell you a complete story of what you're looking for. That's true, but for especially when, when you're at a company like Cisco that has, you know, we can catch it on the wire, we can catch it in the email, we can catch it on the endpoint. Some technologies, uh, like like AMP's um, anti-exploitation technology, actually looks to try to capture the behavior of, of applications as they're exploited um, that are common use, like common, like immediate post-exploitation uh, behaviors by by actors that try to, you know, as you try to hollow out a process or something to, to get in, it grabs it there. So it doesn't even have any understanding of what the vulnerability or the exploit is. It just knows that when people successfully get exploitation, internally they commonly do these things and will block and alert on those. So there's there's a hundred different places where we could potentially um, block with different, and it's all based on what we can see and what our capabilities are and what we know about the threat. So to kind of boil it down, for defenders, because that's kind of who we want to target with this discussion. You really need to make sure you understand what your vendor's done coverage-wise, right? Um, now, if they're going to label stuff, vulnerability coverage or exploit coverage, that's awesome, right? But you need to make sure you understand it, because once you understand it, you can figure out if there's any issues you need to address. And you can really understand how layered your defenses are, because, you know, ideally, you want to have overlapping layers, right? Ideally, you're going to want to have a patch on everything that you knew was vulnerable, right? Now, there might be some stuff that you're not aware of, right? That's the reality of today. Maybe you'll have AMP on the endpoints to help mitigate that, right? But you want to have those overlapping defenses, and by having insight into the kind of coverage they provide, that can really help connect those dots for you. Matt, you made a point about how it's difficult to do that inspection on the wire sometimes. There's, there's issues yeah. or blockers in the way. And I kind of want to touch on that in terms of, of inspection and, and the engines that go behind that traffic inspection. Is there more effective ways to layer that kind of coverage? Or what do we see there when we're trying to come up with the, the rules and the signatures that we're using to find and stop malicious traffic? Ultimately, what happens on the analyst side is they have an understanding of, of Cisco's product suite. And for each possible place where we would see any given attack, we apply what we know about that product, what we know about the attack, um, and what we know about any other complicating factors about, uh, like one of the examples, uh, some of the recent, like BlueKeep, um, you know, it's encrypted, but our product has the capability of decrypting um, uh, RDP traffic if you have the, the, the keys for it, and a mechanism for loading that in there and everything else. So we took took time not just to write the detection, but also to explain how to take care of those steps. Um, so it really is on the specialists on our side uh, to worry about that. What's hard is, is from a defender perspective, is understanding 
those those cases. So what I what I would worry about is when a vendor says they have detection, um, understand that that doesn't mean they have necessarily detection in all cases, in all places, right. on all attacks. Um, for example, maybe uh, for BlueKeep, if we didn't have that capability, we would have detection only for unencrypted um, RDP, which is fairly rare. Um, or maybe some vendors would only have protection on the TCP, not the UDP level. Or maybe vendors had detection on the TCP level but failed to ha- handle segmentation or fragmentation correctly, so there's easy obfuscations. It's really difficult for um, the defender to understand all the different ways that attackers can manipulate and change and, and warp their attacks to make it difficult for your vendors to make those detections. So what you really need to look at is, over time, how are my vendors doing on these attacks? You know, are are we when we see net new attacks, are, are they getting blocked? To make sure that the vendors are being held to account. That's one of the nice things that was really nice about working still um, with the Snort team and back through source fires because all of our detections were uh, eventually would be public and would be out for people to look at. And I can tell you, having reviewed some other detection systems and the way they do detection, uh, when you don't have to show your work, you can take some really weird shortcuts that will definitely diminish your ability to, to detect things as they change. Or, you know, not so work it's, at all, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super challenging. It's super challenging. Yeah. And this is, where, this is where platforms like Metasploit are so important, right? Um, the, the best thing you can do, like, if, if, if you know, like... If you know something's bad, like if you know Blue Keep is coming um, and there's a patch out and everybody's racing on it, you know as soon as that exploit's available on Metasploit, you should be testing it on your systems to make sure your the patch was correct. Because we have seen uh, poor patching techniques by vendors in the past where they would they would do something like um, uh, one vendor used to do a thing I can't remember what they called it, but it was essentially like vector slicing where they would try to. They wouldn't fix the vuln, but they would fix your ability to get to the code <laughs> that the vuln yeah, that was vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, inevitably, someone would find another way to get to that code point, and it was always a mess. Um, or we've seen vendors um, say, "Oh, well, if you push a hundred bytes to that buffer, you overflow it. Well, we'll make the buffer bigger," which is not the <laughs> correct not, not, answer not, for that. It's not, yeah, so it's not it. Then I just send two hundred bytes. Yeah, but uh, so always test, but test not just the patch, but test your your protection vendors you i mean you don't ever want to be caught flat-footed um because you didn't take the time to validate what people are telling you and that's you know given the marketplace and how much money's flowing around today that's that's my biggest you know suggestion is always test always validate we had a i had a partner um in a critical infrastructure place that got scanned by this known um web scanner and they're like, what do we do? I'm like, well, you take go get the web scanner and run it against yourself, just like they did. So now they won't know something you don't know. You know, you always have these options to to do these kind of exercises to vet and validate what you think is true. Yeah. Where we're seeing people get beat a lot on the IR side is we thought this was true. Turns out that's not true. I think it's also that if you're gonna buy something, you know, get them in house and and have them have it there for evaluation for at least thirty days, even yeah. longer if you can, right? As long as you can, and and just see what works best in your environment, right? And and if you can compare, 
you know, two or three things all at the same time, do that. And just to put teeth on what Matt said, you know, we've been working with the Voldev team for years now. And I think we've seen a bad patch at one point or another come out of every major vendor. So this isn't a mistake that one vendor makes repeatedly. It's a mistake that everyone's made, right? No one makes it a lot, but it's a mistake everyone makes. And do you want to be the one caught next time they put out a patch for a remote, you know, a root level code execution exploit? Or do you want to be the one testing, finding it first and putting mitigation strategies in place? You know what I have been seeing, especially on the Microsoft side that I really like lately, um, is more transparency on what the internals look like when the exploits occur. Um, so, like, they'll they'll let you know, hey, if this exploit occurs, these are the logs that end up in the system. Um, and they've also gotten very good about as they patch things, putting logging that that patch protected you. Like they'll say, attempt of this happened. Um, so. At your as you, as you are going down in technical level, so as your deeper technical guys, um, this isn't a CISO, CISO activity, but definitely watch. You know, if you think you've patched, uh, make sure you're watching your 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 Windows logs for those things that would indicate that someone's trying to use it or that someone was successful when you thought you had patched. Maybe you missed something, um, and that that kind of information is also super useful. One of the things you mentioned, Matt, is a lot of the information that we're getting back in. Uh, from the field is coming from from our IR group, and I wanted to before we before we end up uh, wrapping up the podcast today, I wanted to talk real quick about something that is coming out of our IR group that we're starting to make available to the public, uh, and then after that, we're going to talk real quick about some exciting stuff we have going on in Snort World that also has a little bit to do with IDS. Ooh. We're very excited about it. I'm excited. Uh, but the the IR team uh, has been a, a huge source of information coming back into the field for Talos. When, when we first launched it, as a matter of fact, we talked a lot about how this has been a, um, you know, just like this little uh, kind of a blind spot for us. We get to write all this detection. We have just massive amounts of intelligence coming back from telemetry and partners and industry information sharing groups and all those sources. Um, but IR has given us this like boots on the ground with customers level of visibility that we get a lot of that information back from. And one of the things that we're doing with that visibility now is we're releasing uh, a series of quarterly reports, actually two reports uh, every quarter from one of those from our IR group. Uh, the other one is is very much threat focused. We're calling those um, threat assessment reports. Matt, those are, are coming out of your team. Um, both uh, the yep, IR trends that we release every <laughs> good, quarter, as good. well That's as the one sign. on a, a specific threat. <laughs> did you know that, Matt? <laughs> I did. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to? <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> <Do you> <laughs> <laughs> I had a really good role going there too. You. <laughs> Like there was, it would have been even better. I if he just was managed like, to segue Chai. from writing signatures into threat assessment reports, and then you, you have did to admirably, Mitchell. No, you did great, Mitch. Anytime you want to tell me all about what my team's doing, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, please, Matt. Your team We're is well. Ready. You're the one that hasn't read the damn blog post yet, so you tell oh, me. I absolutely read the blog post. <laughs> yeah, he read the blog post. He just didn't read the summary because who has time for that? <laughs> Actually, it's the reverse. He only read the summary. <laughs> I read the tar. <laughs> I read the tar. So, so there's an internal document, and then there's a the external document um, that's available, um, and then there's also a blog. And so, I hadn't read the blog form of this information. Um, but yeah, it's the this report. This report will cover like essentially fall winter of 2019, and 
and it's essentially a story of a couple of of kind of uh, little blips, but largely a continuation during that period of the Trickbot, Emotet, Ryuk um, kind of extravaganza that's been happening for most of 2019. Um, we did see some uh, some examples of web defacement, and I don't remember. So, given the the blog, I wasn't sure which specific incident that this referenced. I think we did see some at some non-governmental uh, customer sites, but we also were observed during that period of heightened Iranian tensions, some politically motivated Iranian supportive. Uh, um, web defacement as well uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Soleimani strike. Um, on you know inside the network, we continue to see uh, PowerShell Empire and PowerShell Bloodhound, commonly used by attackers to move laterally and look for opportunities to to get done what they're trying to get done. But ultimately, for all that we talk about, all these vulnerabilities had an entire discussion on what do we do when there's new vulnerability. Number one vector continues to be phishing and and shocking you know, that yeah i mean it works can't patch people etc cetera, etc cetera. um did see an increase there was some increase in some web application um attacks and um uh there was a series of attacks against uh some vpn endpoints uh and essentially what that's telling me is when when um when there are external facing things like VPNs and firewalls and web servers that have problems, they'll immediately be acted upon by, by adversaries, particularly um, more sophisticated adversaries. Um, and so with, uh, I think there was some uh, Palo Alto and Fortinet both had some issues um, that, that were being targeted uh, by actively in the wild by actors. And so that's that's pretty much it. One of the things the report does do, it does because we wrote it in January, it does highlight, um, even though it was outside the p- time period we were typically talking about, the dramatic escalation in the um, in the ransomware sphere from Maze. And their, okay, if you don't pay me, I'll just release all your data approach to things, which is certainly um, has uh, gotten the world's attention. But that's that's the basics of it. The blog will be out by the time you hear this. Um, uh, still has some some work to do on it to to give it the right the right teeth, um, get you the right data. But yeah, that's that's what we've been seeing. And uh, you know, I, for a majority of the work, there's always one offs that are kind of specific and different and interesting and um, difficult to put into a report like this because they're so specific. But the vast majority of things continue to be these these. You know, fishing to Emotet to Trickbot to Ryuk path that we've seen so much of. Fantastic, and and I think the um, a key thing is that we're going to be these will be released at a regular cadence, and one, I think one of the most valuable ways that these reports can be useful to uh, defenders, to just interested parties, as well as you know even journalists and other people is as as these as this library of reports begins to grow, it it effectively constitutes a, almost a, a chronological reference to what's we're seeing in the threat landscape over time. So as we get these quarter by quarter, and as we release the, the, the second report, the threat specific reports, uh, as we come up with those, we'll have one of those coming out uh, toward the end of February, actually. Um, we'll also get 
this is everything Talos knows about this specific threat. Uh, to add to that body of reference material for defenders and for folks in the business world. Joel. What's up, buddy? We have one other exciting thing happening. Tell us about your snort excitement. I'm excited. Tell Look us. at me. This week in Snort News, we have, uh, by the time this podcast comes out in late December, um, you guys <laughs> will be able to check out a new page we have on snort.org. Um, that is all video content. And so what we, what we've produced is a series of four or five. How many, how how many videos? Six, six. I was close. I was like one. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Uh, six videos, um, ranging from basic setup of Stort to tuning of Stort to writing rules for Stort, both for Stort two and for Stort three. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that coupled with, um, Another release that we're doing next week, which is kind of the complete revamp of our rule documentation for every single rule that we've written, um, in addition to an entire series of meetings that I have next week completely centered uh, around Snort 3, which is getting ready to become general availability. So this is all kind of leading towards an end result of lots of information being available to the users so that people can follow along and learning how to set up Snort, tune Snort, write rules for Snort, get you know things going. Aside from our basic documentation on Snort.org slash documents, we will have um, now video content that you can that you can check out as well. How long are these videos, Joel? Four minutes, five minutes, twenty? What? They are. I don't know, Mitch. How long are they? Uh, three minutes to about 19 minutes. Whoa, what? 19 minutes. Awesome. Well, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's important to consider. Most yeah. of these videos also have labs with them. So it's not yeah. just okay. somebody going through some slides with you. There's, we have, they have, um, the Snort team has set up a, a public Docker container that has yep. all the materials for the lab. Uh, so you can just grab that Docker container, play along with the video. And uh, I know all the rule writing ones, the install and config videos um, and all the tuning videos all have associated labs that go with them, usually yeah. three or four labs per video. So even even you could follow along and do it, Mitchell. Even I can follow along and do <laughs> have it. Have you? Wow. I think he could do it Would, right now without watching the videos because he's probably yes. watched the videos about 300 times. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, the, the the URLs to go grab like Snort Tolua get a little long to do from memory, but yeah. I think I probably could effectively uh, do so it if I had a making, list of You're making excuses already, huh? That's know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, it. you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're really well shot, well produced, um, and Mitchell did none of them. <laughs> That's um, not no well, not a one. well edited Mitchell. Very good job. <laughs> so no, it's uh, no. They're actually uh, they're actually very well done, and they're done by uh, members of DRT. So it's not like um, people that don't oh, know what they're talking you're gonna about. You get to see the you're gonna see the real back end. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the working with yeah. Who um, do we? Who's in the videos? Uh, Mavis. You got Jeff uh-huh. in there. Uh-huh. You got Brandon in there. Uh, Stoltz. Uh, um, oh, you got some of this. Some of the smartest people in uh, DRT absolutely yeah, giving you the, the goods. That's and, good. And Stoltz. That's and good you, stuff. You guys have seen Brandon Stoltz. I know Matt and Nigel. I know you guys have seen Brandon Stoltz's presentation that he's given at Black Hat and stuff with the color coding of the rule set and stuff. Uh, very well done. Very well done video. So yeah, I'm excited. I think they're all they're all really good and they're good stuff to have. Yeah. 
All right. But, I want to go around the table before we close up today, get a closing thought and a parting shot from everybody. Uh, by the order we started in, Nigel, today you have the first closing thought and parting shot. Um, yes, Mitchell. It's Southampton Isn't tomorrow. There a game? There's a game Southampton. tomorrow. Southampton. Yeah. Southampton. And then um, next week, there's no game. It's the, uh, we're just having a winter break this season. Can you believe that? Weird. I mean, in England, winter break, they're putting it. Unacceptable. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, but what they've decided to do in their infinite wisdom during the winter break is to have the replays from the FA Cup fourth round in that thing. So really. I was, that's what I was going to ask you when the uh, when the replay. In the winter break. I uh, mean, the break. so there yeah. is no winter break if you play for Liverpool, except that. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the last game uh, Nigel and I went to watch at the pub ended in a tie. So they have to replay. Yeah. And- yeah, I mean, I just want to point this just, out that know. Liverpool, according to my watch that has a Liverpool alert on it, and tells me of all of the upcoming games. Liverpool is twenty three and one. Yes, no, no, no. Jesus, Christ. no, twenty three and no, twenty three and oh and one. Oh, yeah, yes. There's no losses, oh. Joel. That's a draw. Okay, yeah, my watch is displaying it twenty three one and oh. So, yeah, that's right. Apple Watch, get your shit together. Yeah. No, well, that yeah. That's, that's soccer. That's, that's soccer. Soccer, yeah. soccer notation. Yeah. yeah. 23 like wins. The one draw. Team first. Zero that's losses. Weird. Yeah. Joel, closing thought, parting shot. Hey, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad to be back uh, on the podcast for a week and then I'm going to disappear again. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad to be back with you guys. I've got to, as soon as this podcast ends and, and, uh, I, I do the thing that I've got to do as far as bouncing the, the audio, I got to go upstairs, pack a suit, jump in a car and drive to North Carolina. So I'm excited, uh, about sitting in a car for the next eight hours. Hopefully Mitch can get last week's podcast out before I get in the car so I can listen to it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, you know, I'm going to go down there uh, and then I'm going to come back Sunday morning because I've got tech week for the play I'm producing next week, all next week. So, Matt, what? That's you. Oh, <laughs> hey, my car does this weird thing every now and then. Um, it has like uh, weird on the radio. <laughs> yeah. No, like, no, 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 no. Good. Useful. Weird. Okay, useful. Weird. Right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it has presets and the presets can be any kind of radio. So it could be FM, AM, you know, uh, uh, XM Sirius. And so sometimes when I get in and I've been listening to XM Sirius and my presets, it decides you're listening to all XM presets. So when I go to change the channel, it just lists all the channels. And I always use that opportunity to try to listen to something that I hadn't listened to in a while or I haven't listened to at all. And I have been listening for a week now to Soul Town, which is channel oh, 49. Soul yeah. Town's in my face. I love Soul Town. Banger channel. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was God. listening to that oh, on yeah. the drive home from Florida. Yeah. Oh, no bad music. Not a single bad no, piece of music. No, they're on, on that fire channel. all the time. It's all Motown. I do have to oh, question because yeah. it's not. If you listen to it, there are some songs there which uh, they were playing, and I'm like, Okay, that's kind of a tenuous link to soul. It's not what I would call soul. <laughs> <laughs> but not that it's bad. It's just, you know, you're stretching the it boundaries It should just be called the Motown channel because it's yeah. Motown and Motown's friends and family. What's the, right. one, what's the yeah. other one? There's another one that it's I really like. It's kind of the same network. thing that's uh, uh, vi- something vinyl. There's vinyl in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know vinyl classic? Classic vinyl? Classic yeah, vinyl. Classic vinyl. Good. Classic vinyl. That's what it is. Classic yeah, like vinyl. the deep Thank cuts you. from like classic rock. Yes, yeah, there's some good, good stuff there. 
But yeah, that's that's been my listening. You know, Marvin Gaye, Ruth and Franklin, James Brown, The Temptations, yeah. yep. Smokey Robinson, Glavins Knight, Diana Ross. Yep. Uh, you know, so, some of Miley isn't terrible. I will, oh, God. I, no, yeah. we're not even going down that road. Craig. Parting thought, closing. <laughs> uh, what about Lizzo? Can we talk about Lizzo for no. a minute? Yeah. No. Hell yeah, we can talk about let's, Lizzo. What are you kidding uh, me? Let's get to the oh, wrecking ball. We're let's never get getting out of this ball. show. How do we, how do, we do the, uh, the car screeching wheels noises? We need some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Way off the track. <laughs> Craig came in like a wrecking ball. Wait, why is Craig the one putting us back on course here? Oh, I'm a little sorry. Hurt. I mean, hey, have you guys heard about lizards? <laughs> <laughs> Lizzo, Lizzo. <laughs> nice Craig parting thought closing shot you know I, I think uh, Matt really nailed it earlier when we started talking about vendors right um, you're never going to know what's in your network you can have a good idea what's in your network you can be reasonably confident that your idea is right but there's always going to be surprises there's always going to be things you're unaware of and there's always going to be users doing things that they shouldn't so at the end of the day, it's really important to have those layers of defenses. It's really important to realize that there's going to be vulnerable systems on your network and make sure that you have plans accordingly. Listen, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Remember to subscribe and leave comments every place that you can and steal your friends' phones and subscribe for them too. <laughs> That's always appreciated. We will see you again in a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> on episode 73. But until then, cheers. Bye. Bye.